Father, as we come to this story uh, about Lot and the destruction of Sodom, Lord, there's so many flags that are warning flags that are raised in this in this lesson, and I I just ask today, Lord, that we can read what's on these warning signs as we look through this passage, Lord, the warning of what how you're going to judge evil, an evil country, an evil world, evil people. At some point, Lord, people who reject your son are going to be judged. Uh, Lord, in this, but also in this story, for us who are Christians, Lord, uh, you give us warnings about our carnality and what the cost of our carnality is and are. And so, Lord, I just ask that, that uh, you show us that today because there's a lot of us that that live with one foot in this world and one foot in heaven, Lord, and you want us to set our minds on you and not on this world. And so, Lord, show us the cost of worldliness as we, as we look at this text. And, Lord, but also help us to see the grace, just how uh, merciful and gracious you are to, to uh, those who uh, come to you through faith. And so, Lord, there's just a lot to learn here today. And we can only learn it uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I ask you to open our ears and hearts today to hear your word. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we also pray for Roy, and we ask you to, to give the doctors wisdom. Lord, we pray for healing for him right now, and uh, Lord, for comfort for him, and uh, be with Nikki and the rest of their family, Lord, as they go through this ordeal. Father, again, we just thank you for your goodness to us. Through Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Last time we left off, uh, Abraham had had some heavenly visitors, three, three heavenly visitors, the Lord and two angels. And as we finished chapter 18, uh, the Lord was going back to heaven and the two angels were heading to Sodom to rescue Lot, this man Lot, this nephew of, uh, of uh, Abraham. And the reason they needed to rescue him was that he had settled himself down in a city, a very wicked city that was about to be destroyed. And the very fact that he could make that city his home tells us that he was a carnal believer. Uh, what's a carnal believer? Well, the word carnal simply means flesh. So if you're a carnal believer then your flesh dominates you more than the spirit dominates you. And so that's what it means to be a carnal believer. Uh, and carnality takes all sorts of forms. Now, if you want to know if you're a carna carnal Christian or not, then kind of listen to this list and you, you, you can figure it out. Actually, you can read the list in the Bible of, of the fruits of the spirit and if you do the opposite of that, then you're either lost or you're a carnal Christian. Now, some of the things that, that uh, you see in a carnal Christian, they're very impatient. Very impatient. Not like me. They don't, they don't have all that patience. They're very impatient. They're overly jealous. Uh, they're easily angered. Uh, uh, they can't control their appetites for the things of this world. Uh, they're self-centered. And so they're uh, overly sensitive. You want to see a carnal believer, they're really sensitive. They, they kind of run around with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, they're prideful. And so they're overly uh, ambitious uh, and, and uh, 
and that means that they lust after fame and they lust after fortune. Uh, you want to see a carnal believer that, that uh, is ambitious, then that's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be lusting for position. They're going to be lusting for fame. They're going to be lusting to have more money. Now, we all like money. And so here's one thing I want to add to that or say about that. Uh, having fame and fortune in and of itself does not make you carnal. Abraham was more famous than Lot will ever be. He's more famous now than Lot will ever be. And, it, and he certainly was probably more wealthy than Lot was. And so fame and fortune in and of itself doesn't make you carnal because I don't believe we would consider uh, Abraham a carnal believer. So uh, uh, there's a lot of things that mark out carnality. One of the things that you can, you can spot a carnal believer is that they really, for all practical purposes, are deist or they're humanist. And what I mean by that, they really don't put their trust in the Lord for the ish, major issues of life. They put it in the means of men, in the strength of men instead of the strength of God. They rely more on human means than they do on God's power and God's strength. And so uh, that's a mark of carnality. Now, you can kind of sum it up, and I've heard it summed up over the years by, in various sermons and stuff uh, about carnal Christians. You can say that carnal Christians are people who live with one, I've already mentioned that, with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. They kind of straddle the fence between worldliness and godliness. And instead of setting their mind on things above, they set their minds on the things of this earth. And so there are a lot of conservative Christian teachers who would say that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Some of the most carnal Christian teachers might say that. Uh, uh, they say there's no such thing because a carnal Christian is a contradiction of terms. Uh, as Christians, we're what? We're to be spiritual people. But here's where they go wrong. The flesh warth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And I don't know many Christians that win that war. And whenever you're letting your flesh dominate you, you're being carnal. You remember what the, how Paul referred to the Christians at Corinth? He says, ye are yet still carnal. You're carnal. Now, he, they were certainly Christians, but they were carnal. And I don't think we get a better example of a carnal believer than we get here in Lot. Because Lot was saved. There's no doubt he was saved. We're told in 2 Peter that Lot was a righteous man, that he had the righteousness of God, and so he was saved. But, and I, so I'm not going to focus today on the debate whether or not there's such a thing as a carnal Christian, because I believe there are a lot of carnal Christians. I believe a lot of us are pretty carnal. That's what I believe if we're honest with ourselves. But what I want to focus on today, and this is what we want to look at as we look at the life of Lot, is the cost of our carnality. If you're going to be carnal and be a Christian, it's going to cost you, and it's going to cost, you're going to pay a heavy price for your carnality, and that's what we want to look at as we examine this story uh, this fascinating story, this, this almost, you want to say, a horrible story about Lot and his uh, life in Sodom and his rescue from Sodom. So let's, let's pick up in chapter number 19 and look at verse number 
1. Now, we've been, up till now, these, these visitors that came to Abraham that now are going to visit Lot have been called men. And I told you that they weren't just men. They, were, they came down from heaven with the Lord. They're none other than two angels. We don't know which angels they were, but they are two angels. And so we see that in verse number 1. It says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So he recognized these people. He had seen them before. No doubt he had seen them before. Now, when did he see them? See them? Probably in one of those encounters that the, that the Lord had with Abraham, and he probably brought those men with him when Lot was still with Abraham. And so Lot recognizes these men right away. And uh, he bows before them. So he knows they're very, at the very least, he knows they're very important men. He might even know that they're angels uh, and, and from his uh, other encounters with these two men. And look where he's at when they show up. This is what I want you to look at. He's sitting at the gate. Now, that's very important because in the ancient culture, the gate was the place where they did business. It's where the government operated. It's where the courts operated. And so the person who sat at the gate was a leader uh, either in business or in the government or in the courts. Now, we're, he's, Lot is going to be referred to by the Sodomites as a judge over them. So I believe he was, in, he was part of the judicial system. He was sitting on the court at Sodom. And, uh, and, and a very worldly city. I mean, the most wicked city on earth at that time, maybe one of the most wicked cities ever. And, and uh, uh, there he is sitting at the gate, I mean, immersed in worldliness. Now, how did all of that happen? Well, we've got to go back and remember what happened to, to Lot. It began back in chapter 13 when he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He lusted after the things of Sodom and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then we're, then we're told in uh, chapter 14 that he was dwelling in Sodom. So he was pitched his tent there. He saw, looked at Sodom. He saw things that he liked. He says, hey, this is where I want to live. And so the next thing we see in chapter 14, he's living in Sodom. And now as we come to chapter 19, he's in a very important man in a very important city, but it's maybe the most wicked city on earth. Uh, that, that whole group of five cities in the Jordanian plain are going to be destroyed, and so they were all wicked, and Sodom's kind of used as the example here. Now, here's what I want you to see. His progression into carnality, into worldliness, is the same as ours. I mean, and so we want to look at how he progressed in the, into this position he was in and how we can end up doing the very same thing if we're not careful. I mean, first of all, Lot was with Abraham when God called Abraham out of the land of Ur of Chaldeas. So that mirrors what God does with us. He calls us out of this world. Now, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. He calls us out of this world. And, and, and I don't know about you, but when I was first saved, I really, man, that was a great place to be. 
I mean, I totally separated myself from the television, from movies. I mean, from everything evil in this world, I separated myself from that. And I have never been that spiritual since. I was a pretty spiritual, believe it or not, pretty spiritual man back then. Because I was not carnal. But here's what happens. I remember, this is how it all started with me. I remember I hadn't had a TV. I didn't have a TV. And I, I, uh, the Super Bowl came on. And I, and I said, man, I've got to watch the Super Bowls. So I went down to the pawn shop, and I bought me a TV. Well, lo and behold, I plugged the cable in to use it as an antenna in the, in the back of the TV, and I had full cable. Everything you want on TV, I had it right there. I wonder who gave that to me. You know, some people said, thank you, Lord. I read some Facebook posts sometimes, people thanking the Lord for something. They, the Lord didn't do, the devil did it. And, 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 and I, you know, but I, I was still disciplined, and, I, you know, I watched TV. And then I called the cable company, I said, look, cut that cable off. I don't want the cable in my house. And, they, and, I, and I said, I'm not paying for it. They said, you don't have cable. I said, yeah, I do have cable. They said, well, we'll check it. We'll send somebody out to cut it off. Well, I called call them for a couple of months, and they never cut it off. I had cable. The whole time we lived in that apartment in Las Vegas for three years, never paid a nickel for it. But I watched a lot of stuff. And I began to watch things and look at things. And that's what happens. We begin to, we, we begin to put our foot kind of in the world, and we begin to look in through television, through all sorts of media, through movies, through bad books, through uh, through the internet now, we've got another you know, thing some people call a blessing from God that I think very well might be a curse of the devil. I mean, we, we, we go through the internet and, we, and, and we, 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 we become, all of a sudden we become asphyxiated on the things of the world that we lust after. And we're bombarded with all sorts of images and ads and, and that incite the, the lust of the flesh. And so the next thing you know, we're kind of in the world. I mean, we're in the world. And then very well, once we're in the world, the devil might put us in a position where we have an important position in the world. And before, you long, before long, we're just as worldly as the next guy. i got to tell you, I, I, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians that they're in a bit of difference from them, from my lost neighbors. They're, they're no difference. And most of us don't stand out at all, and that's really sad. We, that we've allowed ourselves to become so carnal and so worldly that we're no different from the world. And that's where Lot was at this point. He was, he was an important man, but he was, he was living in, a, in a, a very wicked city. He was an important man in a wicked city. And here's what happens. And I've seen it happen to the United States of America in my lifetime. We begin to tolerate Wickedness. We're surrounded by wickedness, and we begin to tolerate it. We begin to accept it as the norm. And you know, at that point, let me tell you what. We deserve to be destroyed every bit as much as the wicked society we're living in deserves to be destroyed when we reach that point. But thank God for his mercy. On carnal believers. Or a lot of us in this room would be in really deep, deep trouble. 
But carnal Christians don't get away scot-free. There is a price, a heavy price for worldliness. And we see one of those prices right here in this first verse, or what we're going to look at here in just a second in Second Peter. One of the costs, I mean, here is Lot. He's sitting at the gate. Now, it looks to me, he loved the city. He saw the city. It was a beautiful city. Great things were going on. Fun things. He was having all sorts of fun, late night fun. I mean, it just was a great place to be if you wanted to party. And, and, and he's sitting at the gate. He's a very important man. He's made a lot of money. He had a lot of money when he went there. He's got a high position. And it looks to me like he's pretty happy. If I was just to look at that verse, I would say he's pretty happy. But I'm going to tell you right now, one of the costs of carnality for the Christian is misery. It's misery. If you're a Christian and you're worldly, you are not going to be happy. I'm going to tell you right, you're not going to be happy. Lot wasn't a happy man. Let me show you. Go with me over to 2 Peter for a minute. Hold your place there in Genesis and go almost to the Revelation, to 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, we, Peter speaks of this impending judgment that's coming upon society. And I'm going to, get, to put all of this in context, I'm going to have to read the whole passage. But go with me to chapter 2. And look down, we'll begin in verse number 4, and then you'll see how this develops here in context, beginning in verse number 4. He says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, now he's talking about God judges wickedness. Even the angels were judged. He said, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them from, into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment... Who, who do you think you are if you don't think you're going to be judged for your wickedness? That's really what he's saying. And he did not spare the ancient world, verse number 5, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Now, why did he save Noah? Remember that very important verse in, in, the, in, in, the, in, in that section where, of, of the story of Noah where it says he found favor, he found grace. In the sight of the Lord. He was made righteous by, righteous by faith just like Abraham was. And, and so he was saved. Uh, bringing, in, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And everybody else was destroyed. Now he, goes to, now he comes to our story of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse number 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Listen to what he's saying right here. If you're going to live an ungodly life and, and, and you're, going to, you're going to be a carnal person, your only hope is to be saved. I can tell you that right now. But otherwise, you're facing the same judgment all these folks in the flood faced. You're facing the same judgment the angels faced. Now, hopefully we all are born-again believers and we're going to live a spiritual life. But Lot didn't live a spiritual life. Now, some of you might relate better to Abraham than you do to Lot, but a lot of us relate pretty closely in America to Lot. But look at what it says here. 
It says, and turning the city of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered, watch this, righteous lot. I always love that. In fact, I told my mother one time, I'm going to preach a sermon on righteous lot. She said, don't do that. He's not righteous. I said, yeah, he is righteous. And I wouldn't, she said, no, he wasn't righteous. I said, let me show you. He was righteous. Let me show you in 2 Peter. Now, it's amazing to me that he's called righteous lot. We'll talk about that in just a second. And delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now, watch this. For the righteous man dwelling among them, I mean, he was living right in the midst of them, living just like they were living uh, in the midst of all their wickedness. Now, he wasn't doing the things they were doing, but he was tolerating the things they were doing. But this is what it cost him. This is what I want you to see. It cost him misery because he tormented his righteous soul day and night from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now, why did it torment his soul? I mean, it torments my soul to see how wicked the United States of America has become. But you know what torments me even more? Is that I'm part of this. You know, I'm part of this society. And that's what tormented Lot more than anything else. It wasn't so much that that they were wicked. He he should have just pulled his stuff out and left. But he stayed there and and he paid a price. The price of his carnality was misery. If you sit there and you tolerate evil and you don't take any stand for evil, let me tell you what, you can still be a Christian. But it's going to vex your soul day and night. It's going to make you miserable. And if it doesn't make you miserable, then you're not a Christian. There's no way you're a Christian. But he was delivered. Look at verse number 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly. I mean the godly. I love that. Lot, the godly, out of trials, temptation, to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Lot's a great example of the rapture. The Lord knows how to deliver the righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who believe in Jesus Christ, the one who was made sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. That's the only righteousness that will get you to heaven. And Lot had that. But i got to tell you, when I hear him called a godly man, when I hear him called righteous Lot, I mean, he would be the last man in the Bible I would call righteous. But, but, but he's called righteous. I mean, look at him. He was immersed in this culture. He was actually a judge in their courts, or a very important man at the very least in their courts. He was sitting at the gates. I mean, we're going to see him here in a minute offer up his own daughters, his virgin daughters, to the Sodomites. We're going to see him offer them to just give them, to, and knowing they would kill, kill those two daughters. And then later on, we're going to see those two daughters who were raised in the depravity of Sodom rape him and have their babies through him. This is righteous lot. Need I say more? I mean, he doesn't seem very righteous to me, but he was. Why was he righteous? Because he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's why. But he was carnal. He was carnal, and his soul, as we see here in verse number 8, was tormented day and night, day after day. Who wants to live in misery like that? 
If you're a Christian and you're miserable, if you're a born-again Christian and you're miserable, there's a fix for it because you're carnal. We'll talk about the fix a little bit later here, but that you can identify the problem right away. And sometimes I think this kind of ebb and flows in our life. Sometimes we're carnal and sometimes we're spiritual. When I'm the most miserable, though, in my life, and I, I'm sure you would say the same thing, is when I'm being carnal instead of being spiritual. So there's a price to pay for that carnality. Now go back to Genesis 19 and look at verses 2 and 3. We'll see some other cost here as we look at this, and we'll look at this terrible story here. Verse number 2, he says, And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn in your servant's house and spend the night. He's speaking to the angels now. And wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, we'll, we'll just spend the night in the open square. <laughs> no, I don't think you want to do that, guys. Uh, but he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. And then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread. That's interesting, unleavened bread. We can maybe uh, allegorize something out of that. But unleavened bread always refers to, 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 to no sin. Leaven refers to sin. And so maybe he was trying to say, hey, you're safe in this house. This is the, the sin you see all around that I'm participating in when I go out of this house uh, isn't in my house. So we're going we're gonna to make unleavened bread that's the first time we see unleavened bread in the bible and we won't see it again until we get to the to the to the law later on so so uh he insists strongly that they don't sleep in the open square now why would he insist that he insists that because he knew how wicked and perverse the sodomites had become he knew what they would do to these men that they would rape these men, and when they would finish, had finished raping them, they would kill them. Why did he know that? Because he had seen them do it before. And, and here's my question, Lot. How in the world could you choose to be part of a city that was so depraved? How could you do that? So he brings them home with him. And it's not going to stop the sodomites from coming to try to rape these men, these angels. I mean, I, I just can't imagine anything more horrific than this. And look at verse number four. It says, now, before they lay down uh, to go to sleep, the men of the city of Sodom, both, watch this, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Now, here's, here's why we're given this information. What we're being shown here is that their evil transcended uh, national, racial, and religious boundaries. Because when you talk about the quarters in a city, the cities in the Middle East are divided by nations. They're divided by religions. Uh, they're divided racially. I mean, you go to the ancient city, the old city of Jerusalem, even today, it's divided into four quarters. You've got the Jewish quarter which has the Temple Mount. Uh, you've got the Armenian quarter. Then you've got the, the uh, Muslim quarter. And then you've got uh, the uh, 
the Greek Orthodox quarter. So you got the and, and they're they're divided by race, and they're divided by their religion, and they're divided by their uh, nationality. And so, so what this is saying here is that every type of person in the city wanted to participate in this race, in this rape, and so they all had become corrupt. Now, here's the really terrifying thing: this sin was generational. I mean, I mean, they were their their wickedness was generational because both young and old wanted to participate in it. Now, here's where you know things are got gone too far in a city or a nation or a people or a family are going to be destroyed. When that wickedness becomes generational, when it becomes generational, because if the children are into this stuff, there's no hope for any future for that society. It's over. Friends, i got to tell you, we're rapidly approaching that point in the United States of America today where the, the, you know, the only hope is some sort of revival, but, we're, but our sins have become, they cross, they're cross-cultural. They're not, I mean, Baptists and Muslims do commit some of the same sins. Uh, I, I, they're, they're national. America's doing the same thing they're doing in France. They're, they're, they're racial. Blacks and whites participate in all these evil sins. And, and, and they're generational. That's the scary thing. When you see children, 10, 12 years old, raping their little sisters. And, and this is getting so, permeating so much of our society today that we're in deep, deep trouble. And we're on the verge of being judged. Uh, and, 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 and Sodom was about to be judged because there was just no hope. I mean, in God's mercy, he's going to judge these people. I mean, imagine what they were doing to little children in this society. And in God's mercy, he said, no more of this. And, and, and we're given a bird's eye view of what's going on right here just to show us, I mean, very plainly how horrible this was. Look at verse number five. And they called a lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out. I mean, it can't be any clearer than this so that we may know them carnally. Bluntly puts, bring them out so that we can rape these men. So our young men and our old men and our in-between men can all participate in this gang rape. Pretty sick, huh? I, I, I mean, can you imagine that? Look, as a pastor, I've seen things as sick or sicker than that. Just this past week, you don't have to be a pastor. I read on the news this past week, Right here in Lafayette, that a policeman was arrested for child pornography and having sex with his pets. Is, is that sick or is that sick? And that's somebody sitting at the gate. That's a leader in our society. Read verses 6 and 7. It says, So Lot went to them through the doorway and, and shut the door behind him and said to them, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Now, that's very telling what he calls these sodomites. He says, my brethren, my brethren. That shows you just how tolerant he had become of their sin. So he could fit in with these guys. So he could be buddies with these guys. 
Let me tell you what, I'll speak to everybody in this room, and myself included. You don't sacrifice your moral values, your biblical values, in order to fit in with people. When you start doing that, you're no better than the Sodomites. You're no better than Lot. And that's what he had done. And so we see another cost of carnality right here. The more we bend our standards to befriend the wicked, the more tolerant we become of their wickedness. And we become really just about as wicked as they are. But you know what? Eventually, here's the problem, and it's happening in our society right now. Eventually, their wicked ways are going to affect us. We sit there and tolerate them, and eventually, they're going to affect us. Let me give you an example right here in America. You know, as carnal Christians, we've stood by and watched this militant wing of homosexuality greatly change the mores of our country. I mean, they've been totally stripped down and thrown away. And here's what I've heard. What they want to do in private is their own business. But then, all of a sudden, Target decides they're going to allow men, transgender men, or even just men who think they're women at that particular time, to go into uh, the women's bathroom. It's high schools and places like that. And they're going into, transgender men are going into the women's showers. I bet a lot of them are calling themselves transgender that aren't transgender. But we just totally have stripped down any type of, of, of morality barrier. That it, it's gone. And then, and then when it's their little girls that are in those bathrooms. And they start going into those bathrooms, into those high school gym gym bathrooms and showers and and then they holler please my brethren don't do so wickedly see we got to be careful what we tolerate because eventually those chickens are going to come home to roost and they're going to affect us i tell you what it's time as american christians that we take a stand for what's right that we take a stand for biblical values. Read verse number 8 now. Look at verse number 8. It says, See now, I have two daughters. This is Lot speaking. Who are virgins. They haven't known a man. Please let me bring them out to you. And you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men. Since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So just take my daughters, I'm going to give you my two virgin daughters, and you can rape them and then kill them when you're done. Do whatever with them, with them whatever you want. But leave these men alone. You know, I've heard people say that Lot was showing a noble part of his character at this point in being willing to give away his daughters to protect these two men. There is nothing noble about that gesture. Actually, it reeks of pride. He didn't want to be embarrassed. He would give up his own two daughters in order to be embarrassed by the fact that he dishonored a couple of male guests. And it certainly reeks of an unloving heart that his daughters whom he had raised and known his whole life, he was willing to give them up for two men he barely knew at all. And all he did was make a fool of himself. That's all we do. Let me tell you what. When we 
make friends with the world. All we do in the end is make a fool of ourselves because we're not going to change anybody. And, and uh, those sodomites were aroused with their perversions and they were going to do what they wanted to do and they could care less about his two daughters. They wanted those two men. Look at verse number 9. Listen to what they say to him. Eh? Now he's going to figure out, get to see what they really think about him. How many of the men of Sodom were there? Look back at number, verse number 4. All the people. All of them were there. Everybody he knew was there. And they said, stand back, Lot. And then they started mocking. This is the one who says, who came in to stay here, moved in with us, and, and he keeps acting like a judge. Now he's a judge over us. You know what we're going to do? We're going to deal worse with you, Lot, than we're going to deal with them. When we're done with them, we're going to get you. And so they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. In other words, you call us brethren, Lot. You judge over us. We hate you, Lot. And when we're done with these men, we're going to do worse things to you than we did with them. There's another cost of carnality right here. When you coddle up to wicked people, then one day, and when that wickedness gets to be just too much for you, and you finally call them out. You know what they're going to do? They're going to turn on you. Because they don't love you. No more than these people love Lot. They don't love you. They, in fact, they hate you. They hated Lot. They didn't love Lot. They hated Lot. They hated everything he stood for. And when you finally, they get so wicked, you call them out, they're going to turn on you. You hanging out with those kind of people? Let me warn you, in the end, they're going to turn on you when you finally say enough is enough. You can bank on it. You see that happening today. I could give you examples in every area of society of how that's happening today. But let me just give you one. As carnal Christians, we've stood by while states have aborted, the various states of the United States have aborted millions and millions of babies. And then we have a law passed, like the one that's passed in New York, and they're going to be able to take the baby out of the womb and then suck its brains out. How barbaric is that? That's as bad as anything we're reading right here. And then we shout, my brethren, please don't do so wickedly. Now, I'd never call somebody in New York my brethren, but... Maybe I would, but, but my brethren, my friends, don't you see how wicked this, the, this is? You know what's happening to those people now that are, that are calling the government of New York out on this abortion uh, uh, ruling they've made? They, they're being vilified. They're hated by these people. They haven't made friends with anybody. They don't love them. Look. The people of this world love the world and the prince of this world. And deep down inside, they hate Christians. They hate us. And, until they get, and, and it, some of them are going to get born again and they're going to love us. But at this point, they hate us. Now look at verse number 10. Look at these men. 
But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. You know, they've had enough now at this point, these two angels. And angels are pretty rough characters. You know, you can destroy an army of 150,000 Syrians just like that. And it's interesting what they do to these guys. Verse number 11, it says, And they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, whoever they were, young and old, whatever race they were, whatever religion were, they struck them with blindness. And here's the part that absolutely amazes me. I mean, the power of these angels, I mean, that's a given. And that's pretty amazing. But it's not near as amazing as what takes place afterwards. They struck these men with blindness and they became weary trying to find the door. They were so perverse, so perverted, that even after they were struck blind, they could care less. They still were lusting after these men. They lusting after doing terrible things to these men. And the angels say, enough is enough. Look at verse number 12. It says, then the man said to Lot, look, this, this is it. We've seen all we need to see. We're going to destroy this place. And then the man said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, daughters, whomever you have in this city that believe like you, get them out of here right now. Take them from this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. You know, I think it's a really good thing that we're allowed to see what was going on in Sodom during this day. Because, because people say, oh, a loving God would never destroy the United States of America. A loving God would never destroy this wicked world. Those things of the Great Tribulation, they're just signs and symbols. They're never going to really happen because of a loving God. When that sin becomes so all over a society where it permeates an entire society, when it's generational and there's no hope for any future, God is going to judge that sin. In mercy, he's going to judge that sin. And and so we see this story, and we don't have to wonder why a loving God would judge Sodom. Who wouldn't judge that city? I mean, actually, I think some people would look at that and think, man, that'd make a good movie. The part about the men raping the men, you know, in our society today, make a movie out of it. Not the part about how wicked it was, but they would rejoice in the wickedness. That's how bad things have got. But you don't have to wonder why God, a loving God, would destroy these five cities. You see, you got a front row seat of just how wicked these people were and just how their wickedness had permeated their entire society and they had no hope for the future. Then look at the last verse we'll look at today, verse number 14. Now watch this. They tell them, go, they tell Lot, go out, tell your sons-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have, whomever you have that is close to you, you want to get them out of here, you better get them out because I'm about, we're about to destroy this city. 
So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law. Now that tells me that Lot had other daughters because the other two daughters were virgin daughters. So he had other daughters, and I've got to believe he had grandchildren, lots of grandchildren, no pun intended, lots of grandchildren. I mean, he had, he had many grandchildren. I mean, I, now I'm a, a grandfather. I understand how wonderful grandchildren are. And, 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 and the, uh, I, I'll tell you what, if they came to me and said, you better get, get your kids out, get everybody out you know before, before uh, we destroy this place, you'd, you wouldn't be first. James would be first. Eli and Kaylee wouldn't be first. James would be first. I'd get him out first. Brenda would even, now don't tell her that. I said that. She's out of here. <laughs> so he tells them, I mean, he speaks to his sons-in-laws. I mean, he's thinking of his grandkids. He's thinking of his daughters and, and who, had, who these sons-in-laws had married. And he said, get up. Get out of this place. The Lord will destroy it soon. He's going to destroy this city right away. You've got to get out. But to, his, but to his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Let me give you a better translation, a more accurate translation. To his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be a joke. A big joke. I mean... I can imagine what they said to him. A lot. You're calling Sodom wicked and telling us it's going to be destroyed. And we're one of the most prosperous cities on the earth. God is blessing us. He's not destroying us. Just yesterday, you you loved Sodom. You were sitting at the gates. You were an important person in this city. And now you're telling us, you know, you've met these two men who you might think might be angels and they're telling you they're going to destroy the city. God's not going to destroy this city. He's blessing this city. And, and, and he had become a big joke to them. And that brings us to what I believe is the greatest cost of our carnality. And that is that we lose our witness. We lose our witness. Lot had compromised on so many issues that, and tolerated so much wickedness that he looked just like everybody else in the city. He was no different than anybody else in the city. Let me ask you a question. Are you any different from everybody else in America? You better be. You better be. I mean, it's wrong. If, if not, it's going to cost you if you're a believer. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your witness. Because Lot was no different and he had become a big joke to his children and, and, and they weren't going to listen to him. And since he lost his witness, he paid the greatest price of all. Listen to me, you people who have children. He lost his family. He lost his family. You know, Lot got out of there with his wife and his two daughters, his two virgin daughters. His wife didn't last very long, did she? We'll learn a lesson about that later on because she was still longing for Sodom and she looked back when it was being destroyed like, oh, no. And she was turned to a pillow of salt. And those two daughters who had grown up in that depraved society, 
didn't think anything when their father was drunk of raping him and getting him drunk, actually, and, and raping him and, and having children with him. So if you ask me, the only person that came out of there saved was Lot because those children became the Ammonites and the Moabites. And, 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 and those were some wicked people. So Lot was it. He lost everybody around him. Look at Abraham on the other side. He's got Isaac. Now he's got Ishmael, but he's got Isaac. And he's going to have a family that's going to, that's going to bring forth the Messiah. He's going to have spiritual descendants. Because he wasn't sold out to this world. And Lot was. You know, there's some scary passages in the Bible. But to me, this is one of the scariest ones of all. And not so much because of what happens to Sodom. Uh, You know, I'm not worried about, you know, if Russia hits us with nuclear weapons and God judges us and tomorrow we're wiped out. That doesn't worry me near as bad as this cost of carnality worries me. That's the scary thing. The really scary thing. Because at times, i got to confess, I'm pretty carnal. I've got one foot in this world and one foot in heaven. And we're living in a world that is rapidly becoming more and more like Sodom every single day. Especially here in America. And as an American Christian... It's awfully hard not to be carnal. Because, as I mentioned earlier, we're bombarded constantly with messages and images that incite the lust of the flesh. And that's what it means to be carnal. And i got to tell you, if all you're doing is living for your flesh, and you can answer that question yourself, if all you're doing is living for your flesh, you're carnal. You're carnal. You're not spiritual. And you, you can figure it out because you're going to be impatient. You're going to be self-centered. You're going to be, have your feelings hurt real easy. I mean, it's going to be all, you're going to be hot-tempered. There's going to be all sorts of things that are going to let you know something's wrong with you. I'm carnal. And I'm going to pay a price for that carnality if I'm not careful. Thank God for this man Lot in the Bible. Because look at the mercy and grace God showed him. He's just as considered just as righteous as Abraham in God's eyes. But it cost him. His carnality came at a great cost. One of the costs is he was downright miserable. Just like we'll be if, if, if we're in this world uh, and living for this world and we're a Christian. There's no real peace No real joy for carnal Christians. You're not going to have it. Look, if you have peace and you have joy and you're carnal, you're not a Christian. I can tell you right now. Because because, uh, uh, carnal Christians, carnal people are are drinking from broken cisterns and they're not quenching their thirst. And so there's no joy or peace. Actually, if you're not a Christian and you're carnal, you, you, you just go from one carnal thing to the other. And I think some Christians are doing that now to try to quench that thirst when we should be quenching that thirst of the Spirit. And what our carnality does, instead of quenching our thirst, it quenches the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and we become even more 
carnal. And we look around this world and we ought to wake up because it's becoming more evil and wicked by the moment. It's all around us now. There's no, the, 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 it's, it's as clear as black and white. Wickedness is, it, the darkness has become dark in our country today. We live in a wicked country. And I got to tell you, this world we embrace so much hates us. It hates you. Let me tell you what: persecution is on the horizon. This world hates us. And when things get so bad that we finally start taking stands and calling people out for their wickedness, they're going to hate you even more, and they're going to turn on you, and they're going to attack you if you take a stand for for righteousness. You'll be rejected. If you take a stand for Christ, you're going to be rejected by this world. But again, the greatest cost, this is the greatest cost. We lose our witness. And in the process, we very well might lose our children. People are not going to take us seriously. When we tell them judgment is coming, God is going to judge wickedness and going to judge this wicked world when we're no different from this wicked world. And you're not fooling your children. You're not fooling your family. We don't fool them at all. They can see that we're no different from the wicked world we're living in. They should see a difference. And if our children don't see a difference in us, then we very well might lose them too. So what do we do to keep from being carnal? To keep from paying the price of carnality? We walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And when we walk in the spirit, we're taking a stand for righteousness. And we don't compromise our biblical values just so we can fit in with our wicked friends. We don't do that. In fact, we separate ourselves from everything that is wicked. I don't care if it's your neighbor I'm not saying you're still in the world. I'm not saying you shouldn't witness to your neighbor. But your best way to witness to your neighbor is to separate from the, yourself from the wickedness of your neighbor. Separate yourself from wicked TV. Separate, and I'm not talking about all of TV, but I tell you what, most of it. Separate yourself from anything that's wicked. Movies that are wicked. Oh, I can watch R-rated movies because I have freedom in Christ. Well, you're going to pay a price. That carnal is going to cost you. We separate ourselves and we turn our eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And if we do all of those things, we'll be different people. Not carnal Christians in a carnal world but righteous people 
standing out as different from the people of a wicked world. We want to stand out. We want to have a witness. But if we're carnal, we lose all of that. And it comes at a very, very heavy price. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come to you today, and most of all, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us through Jesus Christ, that our carnality does not condemn us, but, Lord, are we to sin so that grace may abound? As Paul says, mega netto, may it never be. Lord, help us identify those areas in our life that make us worldly. Help us to get a hold of those things that make us carnal and get them out of our lives. Lord, we can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask that you grant us all, Lord, the wisdom to set our mind on you and on the things of above, Lord, so that we can rid ourselves of the things that are destroying us and destroying our witness. Lord, we still have our flesh, and we're still going to have a battle. It's not going to be easy. But, Lord, we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, who died for us and shed his blood for us. And, Lord, we want to be like him in this world now. Help us to do that. We praise you and thank you for him. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Now stand and we'll close in the song.